Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Good morning. It doesn't? Well, you guys can work that out. We, uh, my old headset finally gave up the ghost, so we got a new mic. Might take us a second to get this worked out. And I'm going to ask you guys to stand again. And I'm going to, um, to read the passage at the end. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord. And you are going to say, thanks be to God, like you mean it. Okay? Here we go. Uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 18 through 21. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. This is the word of the Lord. Good job. You guys can have a seat. We um, have been in this series called uh, Why You Need the Church More Than Ever. And these, um, this little three weeks of the eight-week series is talking about three things only the church is going to do, only the church is going to point you to. And a couple weeks ago, Ken talked about worship, and that's really like orient, not just singing songs to God, but orienting our entire lives around something other than ourselves, <laughs> around um, God and through the gospel, that's possible. And so the church is going to point you to that in community, how the, the church, the gospel, creates a context for relationships that nothing else is going to create context for. Um, and, and we need that. And the church is unique in that. And mission, how God is at work through the church uh, in ways that he's not at work or no one else is at work doing the things that God wants to do through the church. And so uh, we need that. I'm going to start by, um, you ever got a message that you didn't, you needed to hear, but you didn't want to hear? You ever got a message like that? Do you remember what it was? Like, what are some messages we get that we just don't want to hear, but we got to hear? Oh, yeah, forgive when you don't want to. That's a good one. I was an enemy of God. God. Yeah, I started thinking through this, and um, I I was thinking through some pretty basic ones, like hard work pays off, you know? It's something you try and teach your kids. Uh, My oldest is going to college in a month, and he's going to go play soccer at uh, Roanoke College. And he has that opportunity because he works – as hard at soccer as I've seen like anybody work at anything. He just works super hard. That wasn't always the case. Like he needed a lesson um, a few years ago and he ended up getting a coach. And he was pretty little at the time, but he wanted to get to the next level. And this coach wasn't a good soccer player. Uh, I don't think the guy had ever played soccer. I think he played football and he had a kid that wanted to play soccer and he wanted to coach him. So he was a football coach coaching soccer. I didn't really like him even, you know, like, I didn't think this was super helpful because he just dogged those kids and he yelled at them. He might have screamed a few times. It's exactly what Michael needed to like get him off his keister and get moving. And he made that next level. And it was because that coach like challenged him and motivated him. You know, my uh, about it's the end of Michael's junior year at the end of that season, the 
the team, the coach handed out awards for the soccer team, and one of them was the Iron Eagle, um, which is the hardest working player on the team. We'd never been to this awards thing before, and so he starts talking this kid up, and like, this kid outworks everybody. No one's going to outwork him. He's the first kid on the field. He's the last kid off the field, and I'm sitting there thinking, man, who's this kid, you know? And he's like, Michael Ramsey. And I, I felt really bad in that moment and really proud at the same time um, because Michael doesn't clean his room with the same fervor that he uh, plays soccer. But he's worked really hard, and he learned that, and we taught him that with sports. You know, you teach your kids with sports, like, this is probably not the thing that you're going to do for the rest of you. The thing that you're going to be really good at is probably not t-ball, you know, but it's good for you. And one day you'll figure out what you're really good at, but every day you learn how to work hard. So that's a lesson that you need to hear. You don't always want to hear. Um, you teach your kids actions have consequences from, from the very beginning. Someone taught you that, and, and you teach your kid that. Because there's certain lessons like every human being is going to learn to um, and maybe most fundamental is your actions have consequences. And God gives us 18 years of kids in our house so that they can learn those lessons from the people that love them the very most in life. And if we don't teach them to them, if we're not parents to our kids, then they're going to, or they just choose not to learn them. They're going to learn them from someone who loves them far less than us or circumstances that don't care one way or the other, you know? And so you want to teach your kids um, those lessons, and you do that by giving them consequences to basic actions so then when it gets more complex they can get it so you you know you take away their dessert or you give them a spanking we spank their kids they're okay it's okay uh you you uh take away screen time you give them an early bedtime um you give them time out and those aren't fun lessons um they're not fun for the kids they're really not fun for the parents but there's something that has to happen some of them are really specific um 22 years of marriage and how many ever years of ministry has taught me some very specific lessons about myself. Maybe foremost is I think too much and act too little. Does anybody want to give me an amen on that? Uh, because you've been around me a long time. You know that's true. And that's not all bad because my messages are what they are because I overthink them, you know. And like it's, there's an angst in that every single week. Uh, but but it, I can be hard to to follow because of that and I've, I've come to learn that that's the case that's not a message that I really want um, but it's a message that I needed and a message um, that I've gotten there was an elder years ago that said um, he said Jeff he said most guys consider second-guessing themselves a weakness you consider it a strength <laughs> and I'm like why wouldn't it be a strength like that way you know you're right when you do it and that is like rung in my ears for 10 years so you need those lessons there are um, uh, my old boss it, um, he, I can remember a lesson. We would work out a couple times a week at a, at a, like, this is how long ago. This is a Gold's Gym in Cary. And um, whenever we worked out on Tuesdays after his Monday night board meetings, he would just whine about his board. And he'd be like, I've been doing this for 25 years, and these guys don't think I have any idea what I'm talking about. They never listen to me, and they just want to do something totally different. But he would let himself get outvoted. And I learned a lesson in that. Like, your board has to be your board, and, and you need to let them do what God wants them um, to do, and that was a big lesson. Now, he also, uh, I, I've come to learn in that, that the most important quality, I think, of an elder is humility, which is the ability to receive that message, um, uh, but that you also need in, in your, I, I feel like, in any team, you probably need this, and in your elder board, you need it. You need someone who's willing to pull the pin on their grenade, lob it in the middle of the room, and let it go off. You need a disruptor, you know, someone who's willing to tell the truth, and you need to listen to those people. Uh, and that transitions into the church and mission because there's a little bit of that in where the church sits in our culture right now. Um, 
The Bible tells us we are enemies of God, and that's a hard message to hear, and sometimes we need to pull the pin and throw the grenade in the middle of the room, and that's not an easy, uh, that's not an easy message, and so we're the messengers. Um, and sometimes the message is received and it's celebrated and people are ready to receive the message And there's nothing better than being the person that God chooses to deliver the message of the gospel to somebody who's ready to hear it Because it's the most powerful message that you would ever be able to deliver and it'll change somebody's life Like nothing else will change their life. Amen It will uh, And we know that sometimes the message will be resisted, but it'll be considered um, someone's not quite ready, but they'll at least consider it, and they'll probably do that because they know you and they know that you care for them and they respect you, and that's the position we're in sometimes. And sometimes the message and the messenger are just going to be outright rejected, if not canceled, because people don't want to hear the message. Um, this is all part of what God has called us to as the church. So I've got this week and then the next couple weeks, I'm going to kind of expound a little bit on that in some more practical ways, but just this week about mission. I got four points in this, and the first one is this, that the church has been given a message that needs to be delivered, and no one else is gonna deliver this message. No one else is gonna give people this message. And this passage, as much as any, and there are several that, that do, talk about the mission that we've been given. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself, and then gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and then entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. It's like Paul wants to make sure we get it. We got the ministry of reconciliation. He gave us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And that is kind of this, like I said, this little window in this series is from worship to community to mission. And that's a progression that you see throughout the Bible. In fact, just before this, in 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.11, just before this, Paul says, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. Which you can, it's the transition from worship, uh, or the progression from worship into mission. Knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. And so worship is where God is going to, he's going to point us away from ourselves and towards God. You know, the truth and in our culture, you know, the truth is not something that we discover. It's not something we have to come up with. We don't have to create it. The truth is something that's been revealed to us and we receive in the person of Christ and in the word of God. And we need to figure out what it is that he has revealed to us. Paul, earlier in this passage, says we've concluded this. This is worship. One has died for all. Therefore, all have died, and he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Like, worship changes us and changes how we think about our lives. Community is a logical profession that progression. The church has the unique ability to facilitate the relationships. So I talked about two weeks ago that you need um, the most. I was talking to a guy this week who, uh, they used to go to Oak City. He's going through some, some just some real tough times, last four or six months. And so I just, um, just gave him a call to see how he was doing. And, and um he was always real, and I appreciated this, real conscientious about having good relationships with his neighbors, especially his neighbors that didn't know Jesus, so that he would be close and have the chance to, you know, to deliver the message to him. But he said in, in this season, and he said we got super close during COVID because it's your neighbors and these are the only people you really saw. And, uh, but he said in this like, tough season where he's tried to like, 
lean into these relationships and tried to be transparent with them and tried to talk about dependence on God. He said he's realized the limitations of them because they just don't have categories to talk about the things that he wants to talk about. There's something unique about Christian community. And then that flows into mission. In John chapter 15, Jesus has his last you know, meal with his disciples, and, and John records a lot of that conversation. And, and so it, you know, Jesus starts by saying, if you abide in me, uh, you'll bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can't do anything. And so he's talking about drawing in, um, and, and that's worship. You know? And then he talks about community, and he talks about, he prays that the Father would make the church one as as I and the Father is one, as Jesus and the Father are one. So he talks about unity, but then he talks about them being sent out and says, Father, as you've sent me, I send them. Um, you know, don't, don't protect them from the world, protect them from the evil one, but they're sent into the world. And so there's a flow to that. And it's, it's throughout the characters in the Bible. Abraham gets blessed. He gets called in and he gets blessed by God, but he gets blessed so that he can be a blessing to the people around him. Moses gets called in to the burning bush and Take your shoes off, because this is holy ground. But then he gets sent out on mission from that place. Isaiah, you know, has this vision of God on his throne. And woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips. And that's worship. But then he gets sent out, here am I, send me. And that's what, what Paul is saying. We've been reconciled. Worship, we've been reconciled. We've understood our relationship with Christ. And now we've been given the ministry of reconciliation ambassadors is a great picture we don't think about ambassadors much but the ambassadors are appointed they have been given a job to do that often i think that probably is a pretty good gig if you could get to be an ambassador depending on where they send you and really depending on the message that they give you and who you're giving the message to because sometimes that could be some tough sledding uh, but they're sent to a people they're giving a message that they don't have much of a choice about they're not asked how about they feel about the whole thing um, and they're prob they probably have to adapt to the people that they've been sent to so that they don't get in the way of the message that's been, but they work alongside the message that's been given for, th for them to give. I think we're clear on that. That's who we are as Christians. We've been given a message that no one else is going to give. And if you're tuned in and you're not a Christian, please hear this. This was not our idea. <laughs> we didn't come up with this and say, let's go out there and give this message. God sent us. He has told us he is the one at work through us, making his appeal through us. We might not always think this was such a great idea on his part, you know, because the church, um, the church, like, is always in some way, shape, or form quite a bit of a mess. Uh, like, you just look around at what's going on in various churches today, and in every church in various ways, like, the church is a mess, and this has always been the case. There is, like, a good old days thing about the church, you know, um, there's, we always have a good old days thing where we think the good old days were better than the current days, and it's because we made it through the good old days. We made it through those days, so they're good, and because we're not so sure we're going to make it through these days, you know. And the church is the same, and so people think if we could just be like the church in in uh, the early church, the church in the Book of Acts, then everything would be better. He's writing this to the Corinthians. That's possibly the most messed up church in the Bible. Uh, and even the church in Jerusalem, which was great, was so great that none of them wanted to do what Jesus told them to and leave Jerusalem. And so they didn't leave Jerusalem until they started being persecuted and people started getting killed. And then they did what God told them to. Um, the church has never quite had its act uh, together. And, but, but this is the, the mechanism that he has chosen to deliver his message um, to the world. So we have a message, needs to be delivered. Uh, here's my second point. The message 
just for clarity's sake, is a fantastic message. <laughs> There's no message. We're getting messages all the time, right? And most of the messages are, buy this thing and your life will be great. Are those accurate? They're not. It's false advertising. This is not false advertising. This is a fantastic message, um, and it will change our life. And, it, and the, the last line in this passage is as simple as he puts the gospel. For our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That is the gospel. We can be reconciled to God. Our sins can be forgiven. We can become new creations in Christ. We can be conformed by the Holy Spirit to the image of Christ. We can be sure of an eternity with Jesus. He says that we might become the righteousness of God. I think in our day, righteousness is kind of a boring thing, but righteousness is just like it's the place where things are the way things are supposed to be, and we have an idea of the way things are supposed to be that we're pursuing, but God's idea is the right idea, and it's the place that you want to be, and he says you can be there forever because you will be given the righteousness of Christ by his life, death, and resurrection. That message is a great message for you. It is a great message um, for the world. I started having my, my kids... Um, this summer, occasionally, I'll, I'll ask them to read a book, and, um, and so this is the one this summer. It's 10 questions every teen should ask and answer about Christianity. It's the same lady that wrote this book that's been out there for a few years now that you should all read, uh, or maybe you should read this one, either one, um, called Confronting Christianity, because this lady is just a great voice for our time um, in addressing difficult questions. Uh, but she starts this book off with, and again, writing to teens, just saying, like, Christianity works. Not you should believe it because it works. You should believe it because it's true. But in spite of the messages you might be hearing, it works. So she cites an epidemiologist from Harvard who says he did a study, and, it, and these were some of his findings. Kids who were raised in religious or spiritual environments were better protected from the big three dangers of adolescence, depression, drugs, and risky sexual behaviors. Those who attended religious, religious services regularly were 12% less likely to have high depressive symptoms and 33% less likely to use illicit drugs. Those who prayed frequently were 30% less likely to start having sex at a young age and 40% less likely to have an STD. Children with a religious upbringing were also more likely to subsequently have higher levels of happiness, a sense of purpose, of volunteering, and forgiveness of others. She goes down into this. There's a longitudinal study that Harvard did following their graduates for like 75 years. Um, and these, so most of these people are highly successful people figuring out what actually brought people happiness. And it wasn't their success and it wasn't their stuff. It was their relationships. Like love is the thing at the end of the day that we want. And that's what our faith will tell us. Uh, people who go to church, she talks about how helping others is like they now know, like, that's what's good for us. Lose your life and you save your life is helping others. And people who go to church every week give three and a half times more money to charity, and they volunteer twice as much as people that never go to church. Uh, experts have found that forgiveness is good for our minds and our bodies, and, and God reminds us constantly he has final justice, and so we don't have to get back at people, and he gives us the model in Christ to forgive those who have harmed you. Um, and she just, she goes on in this about how this is a message that's, like, it's good. It would be good if everybody believed that this was true. <laughs> like, it would be beneficial to society. And I asked the kids, are you surprised by that? 
And they weren't. Um, I thought if you asked 100 people, well, I don't know if you have 100 people in your circles that you could ask, like 50 people, are Christians generally better off than non-Christians? How many people would say yes? And I think, you know, there's a book that came out a few years ago, How Religion Poisons Everything. I think there's kind of like an anti-religious sentiment that is trying to present the message, no, it's bad. Um, and you only do it because you have to. When the reality is um, that it's a great message. And everyone should want this to be true because of the impact that it has on people. Uh, my kids honestly weren't that surprised. And they were even able to say, as middle school and high schoolers, like looking at some of their friends and the roads they're going down, um, they, they're starting to see how it works. And it's super encouraging. So it's a great book. So the message is a great message. There will be resistance to the message. The gospel is an, an inherently confrontational message. If there is not at some point in a series of conversations with somebody about who Jesus was and why he came and what the gospel is, some awkward moments, some tense moments, you're probably giving the wrong message, you know? Or unless somebody's just really broken and at a point where they're ready to receive the message because it's inherently confrontational. That doesn't mean be a jerk when you talk to people about Jesus. The confrontation isn't between you and the other person, right? The confrontation is between God and the other person, which actually is hard because it's like God wants to get in a confrontation with somebody and throw you in the middle of it, you know? Um, which I could have some questions about because uh, it's not always a comfortable place to be, but that's what he's chosen to do. If you asked 100 people in your life, do you need to be reconciled to God? Not not folks in here, you know what I mean? But if you asked 100 people, do you need to be reconciled to God, how many would say yes? Do you have an answer for that? Is it 30? Yeah, I just don't think people generally think that they need to be reconciled to God in our day. They don't think they need to become a new creation. They don't think the old needs to pass away and the new needs to come. Um, they don't think they need someone to deal with their sin. And so that's just, that's a change in the way that our culture thinks that we as a church have to adjust to, and I'm going to talk a bit about next week. Uh, but this is um, the truth of it. Paul, earlier in this passage, says, whether we are away, whether we are at home away, we make it our aim to please him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. And then he says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others. That is the fear of the Lord, um, that we will be accountable for our actions, uh, that God is God, and we are not, and we are accountable to him. Uh, now, we just said, that's a great message, because when we get to that day, he is not going to count our trespasses against us. And that's an, that's a like a legal accounting term, count. He is not going to count our trespasses against us. He will count them against Jesus and give us Jesus' righteousness. That is the good news and the message. But there is an accountability that comes with it. I think in our day, the, the going sentiment is, oh, God will just let it go, you know. And this goes back to the, the first lesson you teach your kids, that your actions have consequences. And it's just, that's a hard message to communicate in our culture. But, but everybody knows it's true. I started thinking about just in real basic terms. We have a chore chart in our house. How many of you have a chore chart in your house? How's that working out for you? Yeah, at best, right? 
We, um, we have had, we used to switch up the chore chart. It's now been the same chore chart for, for like three years. Almost every day, uh, there is a, hey, did you do that chore today? Oh, it's not my day to do the chore. No, it is. I'm like right here at the pantry door looking at the chore chart, and I can see it's your day. And you know it's your day because it's been the same thing for three years. I would not tell you. And like we have this conversation every day, and I would not tell you it's your chore if it's not your chore, but it's never their day to do the chore. You know what I mean? That is the beginning of all those conversations. Uh, and, and these are simple things, you know, but what happens when someone doesn't do their chore? Really, all sorts of things happen. Uh, starting with the person that doesn't do the chore gets to do what they want to do instead of getting to do the chore, you know, so they get a little bit of pleasure out of that. Everyone else gets a little frustrated because something beneficial to the household uh, doesn't get done that needs to get done and the place is a pigsty. The author of the chore chart, or authors of the chore chart in this case, um, get particularly frustrated because they've been defied. I mean, that's what's happened. Uh, and the person that ends up doing the chore gets particularly frustrated because they've borne the consequences of the action of the person that blew off their chore. Then a confrontation is going to happen, or it's not going to happen. And if it doesn't happen, then there's probably a bitterness that's going to fester in there. If the confrontation does happen, it can happen well or it can happen poorly. You know, someone can be so frustrated, maybe, in that confrontation that they shame or belittle the person that was supposed to do the chore in the first place. Um, or it can be done well, and there can be an opportunity for reconciliation. And then either there's an apology and repentance and reconciliation, or there's defiance and further consequences. And I am talking about the dishes, right? I'm talking about the dishwasher here. This happens, I don't know, a hundred times a day in a million ways in our lives. And it's not about dishes. It's about real things in our relationships and about slander and unfaithfulness and gossip and abuse and extortion and not holding up your end of the bargain and all those things. But it plays itself out in the same way. Our actions have consequences. It's why we are in the mess that we're in. And we can't even agree on what the, the chore chart is, you know, in a grand thing. We couldn't do them even if we could agree on them. We don't want to take responsibility for our inability to do them. And that's why we need reconciliation. But we have a hard time just owning our actions. I said this a couple weeks ago. I'm just going to say it again. Like, what makes us think heaven is going to work out if we can't, in, you know, beach week season, can't spend a week in an ideal circumstance at the beach in a beautiful house with our family without thinking after four or five days, I got to get out of here. And these are the people we love the very most. We just don't think it through. We greatly overestimate our ability to be right about things, and, and we're not. And something has to change drastically. And that's the message. Be reconciled. That, that's where it starts. You need to be reconciled to God through worship, through the gospel, and then you can be reconciled to each other. Uh, but there's resistance to that. There's just resistance. And I think at the core, people just but don't want to take responsibility and own up to the fact that maybe they're the problem. Um, that, this burdens me a ton, you know, in, in thinking about the church and thinking about mission and in thinking about my relationships and my friendships and thinking about how to communicate the gospel of how to get through that barrier and get people to understand that it's always been the problem. The woman you gave me, she did it. It's always been the problem. Uh, and we will 
admit that the world around us is a mess. <laughs> we'll admit that we're not perfect, but, but we, we have a hard time really taking responsibility for that. And you start talking about the wrath of God, and people resist that um, forever. But, and yet, like, um, how much cultural wrath against sin was there in 2020? Right? On a scale of 1 to 10, how angry was everybody? Yeah, angry. That's wrath. That is wrath. And we can't agree on what to be angry about, but we were all angry about something. If you weren't super angry about Derek Chauvin and George Floyd, you were probably super angry about the election being stolen. You know what I mean? You pick or choose, like, depending on your persuasion and ideology, like what you were angry about. But we all agree there's stuff to be angry about. Um, and we all probably think God should be angry about the things that we're angry about, but we don't think that we've done anything that God should be particularly angry about. Sometimes it just seems really clear to me. <laughs> this is a G.K. Chesterton quote where it was a, he's an old British dead guy, and the, when one of the big London newspapers sent out a thing that said, what's the problem with the world? And uh, they were taking answers from readers, and Chesterton just wrote in, dear sirs, I am, sincerely, G.K. Chesterton. Perfect answer. Uh, that's why Jesus, who was not the problem, who knew no sin, needed to become sin, and why we who are not righteous need to be given the righteousness of God, and why we need to become new creations. And that is a confrontation that has to happen in your soul. Was I really so screwed up enough that this needed to happen? And the answer is yes, and you shouldn't believe it because it makes sense or doesn't make sense. You should believe it because it's in the scriptures and because Jesus rose from the dead to validate everything that was said about him. And whether we understand it or not, it's the truth. And then you can be reconciled to God through the work of Jesus, and everything can start to change. There will be resistance to the message. This is uh, my last point, and I'm quickly closing. We need a motivation strong enough to keep us delivering the message in spite of the resistance. I think about evangelism and just preaching this message how many times, you know, over the past how many years. And we, just, we need to keep hearing it because it's hard. Worship is easier. Community is easier. Mission's harder. But, but all three of them need to be there. I said this a couple weeks ago. They're like recipes, ingredients in a recipe, and it doesn't work if you don't have mission. It doesn't work like in a really unique way if you don't have mission, but it's the one that we probably resist um, the most, and it feels like it's getting harder uh, where we are in our culture. It's always been hard. Uh, Moses didn't think he was up to it. Jonah didn't want it to work. Abraham thought it would work better if he did it a different way, like the disciples stayed in Jerusalem because it was comfortable until God kicked him out. It's always been hard. It's always, it's always been hard for us, and I think about our church, and just over the past few years, different ways, like you guys are um, real, like, you're good. You're good about this. Like, you know, you want to. It's just, we, we can get worn down. We can get distracted. We can get um, discouraged. I think right now, people are afraid um, of losing, losing relationships, of consequences, of just not knowing, you know, where culture is right now and how things are going to be perceived. And so let me say a few things. Um, to encourage you. And one is this, like I said earlier, this is the church might not have been like the plan that we would have had God choose. 
the church is really good at its job. The church has been going strong for 2,000 years. It's going gonna, it's gonna to keep working for as many years as it needs to before Jesus comes back. And the church, for all its flaws, like God knew what he was doing, and the church is actually, it's part of what she goes through in this book, is exploding in different parts of the world, not so much in the West, but in the South and in the East. It is blowing up. Um, the church in China, amidst crazy persecution, has exploded in the last 25 40 years and it's going to continue to do so because the gospel is true and those people are ready to hear it uh, the church works and so we've used this language before about gospel demonstration and gospel conversation and gospel explanation and gospel invitation and just keep going live a life that demonstrates the goodness of the gospel try and find a way when you talk to the people close to you about the things that are most important to you to just express your faith and then get to a point where you have to explain your faith and not just express it and then invite them into that invite them into the faith invite them into the church invite them into a conversation whatever it is that you can invite them into and and that's worked i think about you know just folks over the last few years that i see such growth in and and how those how it started and it was just friends inviting friends you know a couple weeks ago i heard about a family newer to the church, and I, I don't know how they got here, but they'd met another family from the church in McDonald's, and somehow church came up, and so they ended up here. That's a little crazy. You wouldn't think that to happen in McDonald's, but it does. And so um, whatever opportunities God's given to you, God is at work. And we've got some things. I'll talk more about this next week. Um, you know, we're going to re-up Where is God When Life Happens. That's always a great series to invite people to. The series, I'm a sermon series in the fall. I'm going to kind of skew towards... Um, just talking about where church fits in culture right now, and I think it'd be a good series for, for folks to, um, to engage the church as part of that series, looking at something called the Alpha Program, and, and we're going to re-up Oak City Go, and again, we'll talk more about that next week, but like where we just focus on this and, and um, encourage each other to be praying for the people around us. So the church is good at its mission, and so keep going. In this passage, there's something about the idea that God is at work. God is making his appeal through us that I think one of the hardest things about mission and about um, having conversations that can be awkward or difficult with friends is um, is feeling like you're out there on your own and not knowing how it's going to go but God is at work through you you are in fellowship with God through mission. Discipleship happens when we get out on a limb and need to depend on him in new in different ways. It happens in here in a certain way. It happens better out there in different ways. And there's a unique fellowship that happens um, during mission. And when you realize that God can use you and is using you to change the trajectory of the life and eternity of another person, there's nothing like that. I sent, I linked an article in the weekly about, and it was, a, it was an article about, um, like, uh, they, they kind of did kids that were raised in church and, and that stick with the faith, you know, after they don't have to anymore, and like what the common characteristics were, and they're pretty basic stuff, like it seems like it's basically if you are really serious about your relationship, they're going to pick up that there's something to be serious about, and if you're not very serious about it, they're going to think this is a joke. 
And, and it talks about the basics of just you reading your Bible, but then getting them to engage God through the Bible. And so they hear from God himself in prayer. But they talked about the importance of serving. And um, in, that, in that kids who serve have a greater likelihood of being a part of it. And I think that's because we're made for mission. And when we figure out that God can use us, then that does something to us. And it does something in our relationship uh, with Christ. And there's some fellowship with Christ that happens in that that's different when we're on mission, when we're out there, and, and when we're serving. Paul says this, it's part of this passage, what, what we're known, what we are is known to God. This is a little confusing, and I hope it's also known to your conscience. We're not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance, not what's in the heart. For if we're beside ourselves, it's for God. If we're in a right mind, it's for you. He has a complicated relationships with the Corinthians. <laughs> And there are some people, the super apostles, that are saying bad stuff about Paul, so he's having to defend himself in a weird way. And at the end of that, if he says, if we're beside ourselves, I think that has to do with ecstatic speaking in tongues and stuff like that. It's for God, but if we're in a right mind, it's for you, because we're for you. And then he says, for the love of Christ controls us. The love of Christ is the thing that controls us. The love of Christ, not even the love of them, the love of Christ the thing that drove him and motivates him because we've concluded this that one Christ has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for Christ who for their sake died and was raised it'd be a whole nother sermon on fill in the blank what controls you the love of Christ controls us what is it that controls me you know the search for instant gratification a desire to win a desire for approval quest for security, um, the quest for knowledge, and that's, he's, nope, what controls him is his love uh, for Jesus, um, and he's gotten there because he believes because of what Jesus has done for us, then we live our lives not for us and for the quest for these things that aren't going to do it but we live our lives um, for him. And he didn't live his life for him, really, but for me. And so I have the opportunity to have that type of fellowship with Christ, and it's worth more than anything else. More than pleasure, more than success, more than approval, more than security, more than understanding. There's a verse I read in studying for this that I hadn't seen before or hadn't noticed, um, and it's in Luke where Jesus sends his guys out on mission and he says, the one who hears you hears me, and the one who rejects you rejects me, and the one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. And it just hit me in a different way of like the fellowship you have with Christ on mission. The one who hears you doesn't hear you, they hear me. And the one who rejects you doesn't reject you, they're rejecting me. And there's some unity with Christ in that. Um, that I think I've taken for granted or maybe haven't realized. He's given us that message and that mission. And our motivation has to be not so much even love for our neighbor as love for the God who reconciled us to himself because he loves our neighbor a lot more than we do and has called us into that work. And you may experience a distance with some of the people around you and a discomfort for a while but you will experience a closeness to Christ in sharing his mission that's in a way that I don't think you'll experience 
it anywhere else, and it's what you're made for. Um, we're going to, Jake and Julie are going to come back up. Um, we're going to celebrate communion, partake in communion, and um, remember uh, that he died for our sake um, so that we can be reconciled to God and um, that, that he has called us to, to follow him in that way um, by really dying to our own selves so that others can know him. So I'd take a minute uh, to search your heart and however God may be convicting you about mission, however he may be challenging you, however he may be encouraging you um, to hear that from him. Um, and then when you're ready to come up here and uh, to participate in communion. And if you're here or you're tuning in, maybe my greatest desire is that um, that confrontation is happening in your soul where you're realizing I do need to be reconciled to God and I haven't been. And that is as simple as receiving what Christ has done for you. And so I would encourage you um, before him to confess your sins and to accept the gift that he's given you in Christ. And he will enter your life in a way that he never has and begin to work in you in a way that he hasn't, and you will be a new creation in him. Father, thanks for um, this passage, Lord, and the clarity of it, uh, of what the gospel is, and how you have entrusted us with the gospel to the people around us. Lord, I pray that um, we would be willing consistently to take responsibility for our part in the messes around us and recognize how much we needed your forgiveness, need your forgiveness, need the forgiveness of those around us, that we would be reconciled to you and reconciled to each other constantly through a humility that the gospel calls us to. And people would see that, people would, we would be unable not to speak of it when we talk about the things that mean the most in our lives and that you would be at work in the lives of others and through us to bring people to yourself, God. Thank you that you have given us the ministry and the message of reconciliation, Lord. Give us the courage, give us the encouragement, give us the clarity, um, give us the, the skill to deliver that message in a way that will be um, useful to you and to your kingdom. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.